If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Patrice. Hi, Marleya. Hi, Courtney. Hi, everyone. We're yeah. drinking. What, what is, hold on, I have to look What's up the official to the name of this, this besides like, damn. Besides bourbon in a mason jar. Damn. Let me see. Let me see if I can find it. I have to go back and back Our and back. Our tender Marleya has this week's recipe. She saved I, me. I had a I rough weekend. I it is called appropriately the bourbon cranberry cocktail. Oh, well, there you go. It bourbon is... comes first in the recipe. <laughs> right. And Everything there's just else like this minor. <laughs> the cranberry just kind of floats like by the jar. <laughs> it doesn't actually go in it. <laughs> you just kind of blow on the cranberry <laughs> over the bourbon. <laughs> just squeeze a single cranberry into your mason jar. <laughs> single cranberry teardrop <laughs> this has one well, cup think, less than the recipe called for though yeah it said it said to put in four cups of bourbon <laughs> and 750 milliliters or a fifth is only 3.2 cups <laughs> oh my so god needs, yeah this is like i listen to go spend the evening with my in-laws and we don't get along kind of drink <laughs> but that's not what's happening right like, <laughs> no. no i love my in-laws but i know you know but that's oh, what that is that's oh, what Lord. that is it's like i got to spend time with family um oh so it really it on any other year it would be like the perfect holiday drink really it would, it would. but this year we just may finish this podcast maybe not <laughs> we really don't know where it's going to go from here especially since i'm going second and they dropped off my cocktail and a mason jar which is like my favorite thing ever <laughs> um and i immediately started drinking this fire water <laughs> I know Patrice didn't send any words this time. She just sent like a fire emoji yeah, and a drunk face emoji and a heart emoji. Yes. Or something. Is that right? I'm like, we just got here. Right. Um, yes. Do we have any? I don't I don't personally have any updates from last week. Do you? Because we could get started early so we stay less drunk. Yes. Exactly. Possible. Yes. If that's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Well, I will go then. I will just jump right to it. Oh, yay. Get okay. on it. I'm excited because you already told me, but I have mm -hmm. no idea. I mean, uh, I yeah, no normally idea. I'm a, normally I'm like a 100% no spoilers for anybody, but I've told three people already what I'm doing because I've had so many people ask me to do it mm -hmm. and okay. I've mentioned it a couple times, but okay. I've never put it together. And, um, so I'm kind of clearing out some um ideas that i had kind of half done right okay. now um so the number of people who have asked me to do the story of bill skeeto and the hole that won't stay filled is yes. i mean i don't think i can even count at this point anymore um and you mentioned it to me too courtney didn't you it's originally it's from um most people know it from katherine tucker windham's 13 alabama ghosts and jeffrey book and um <clears throat> So uh, if you've listened to the show, you know how much I love Catherine Tucker Wyndham. And yes, that book right there. And, um, and so she's an amazing storyteller. So I'm going to link to a video of her telling this story, which will be better than the part that I'm about to tell you, which is just basically my telling of her telling of the story before I get into the rest of it. So this is her version. And she studied people's oral histories and folk tales and then took them all and told them again and put them in this book together. So mm -hmm. this is the oral history version. Um, so in the town of um, Newton, Alabama, that's in Dale County, and it's between Dothan and Enterprise. So it's all the way down south. It's like not terribly far from the Florida border. Um, 
there was um, and again, this is this is the this whole thing at the beginning is the Catherine Tucker Wyndham version. There was a Methodist minister that lived in Newton. He was originally from North Carolina, and um, he was a preacher at five small churches in the region there. Um, it was the like mid to you know the mid 1800s, so you know getting on towards Civil War. And when that started coming their way, he's, he started speaking out, not just against the war, but against the Confederacy. And um, eventually he, well, he kind of lost friends, you know, as, as you might, um, right. because of it. And eventually he was drafted into yeah. the war and uh -huh. he went to the front. So he was serving in Virginia with the infantry. And one day he gets a letter saying that his wife is basically on her deathbed. And nobody is there to take care of her. And uh, she's got pneumonia. And so he decides that he will pay a substitute to fight for him so that he can go home and care for his critically ill I vaguely wife. remember this story. So he does that. He... Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I hope I haven't told it before. I don't think I have. You haven't but not on here so he goes um he goes back home to newton and um it takes so long to nurse her back to health to nurse his wife back to health that people start saying that he came back with the intention to desert the military and that um he was just using his wife's sickness as an excuse to stay out of the fight and um so this according to this version um there was a, a a home guard in Newton that um, was in charge of keeping law and order uh, in the community while the able-bodied men are away fighting. And um, um, the man in charge of this was named Captain Breer. And one day, uh, Bill Skeeto goes to town to get medicine for his wife, and he's walking home on the banks of the Choctawhatchee River, and Captain Breer and four other men ambush Skeeto. They tie his hands and feet and they beat him and tell him that they're going to hang him for a deserter. So Skeeto says that he's got papers that show that he's hired a substitute, that he's legally there, that he's just trying to take care of his wife. He's not a deserter. He plans to go back and they're not going to listen to him. So they throw him in a buggy and they drive it under a big oak tree and they slip a noose over his head and throw the other side over the oak limb. And then they ask him if he has any last words. And um, he says, first, if you hang me here, you're never going to forget this spot. And second, he says, he starts to pray for the men who are, who are ready to hang him. And he prays for God to forgive them because he knows them all by name because they all live in the same community. <clears throat> and one of them gets sick of it and lashes the horse, which jerks the buggy out from under Bill Skeeto's feet. And it should have broken his neck when he fell, except Bill Skeeto was a really tall man. And so um, he, his toes just kind of touched the ground and stopped the noose from tightening around his neck. And one of the men in the ambush party um, was named George Eccles, and he was walking with a crutch. She called him a cripple in her story. Um, he walked up and he used his crutch as a shovel to dig out a hole under Bill Skeeto's feet so that his toes couldn't touch the ground until the noose tightened and what Bill Skeeto asshole. died. I know, yeah. right? So it's, it's, um, already, it's already, I mean, obviously they're already assholes because they're murderers, uh, but I mean, they're of his community. Yeah. I mean, come on. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So, so Bill Skeeto died and then she said the men got in the buggy and they drove, this makes them even more assholes, by the way, they drove to the Skeeto homestead. They stood outside and they yelled, Mrs. Skeeto, if you're wondering where your husband is, he's hanging down there in a tree by the river. And Mosquito, who is still sick in bed, what? had to walk five miles before she found anybody who would go with her to help cut her husband's body down from the tree because they were calling him a deserter. Um, now, the story goes that all the men who were in that ambush party met tragic, violent deaths. One of them, and this was Breer, had a tree limb fall on his head when there was no storm and no clouds and no wind. Um, one of them was struck by lightning. One of them got caught in quicksand, which is, I was like, oh, wow, that's really bad. And one was <laughs> quicksand. <laughs> quicksand. 
and one was killed falling from a mule that was running um and in newton people could still and at the time that she was telling the story they could show you this hole that george eccles had dug for bill skeeto and um the thing was people started noticing that um they would try and cover it up they would put like dirt and whatever in it and they would come back a little while later and it would be swept clear and um it started to become such a thing that people would visit that site on purpose just to test out this idea that like it seems like this never gets filled and so they would people would um you know high schoolers would camp out there like people would camp and stay the night and put their camping bags on top of the hole after filling it up and then when they moved their camping bags off the next morning the hole would be empty so it was said that the story kind of grew that the ghost of bill skeeto still swung from the tree and his dragging feet would clear the hole every night um just to remind people um so that's the Catherine tucker windham story um now so as i started looking into this the reason i hadn't done it yet was because i didn't really feel like there. you know it's a very it's compact and it's pretty complete and i just love her and i was like well i don't want to fuck with with her i mean like she does right. these the best so right. i'm going to do it my way which is to <laughs> go down all the other paths alongside um so with with stories like this there's there's always truth and there's always fiction all tangled up into one and you might be surprised on this one which is which because i kind of was mm. um there was a bill skeeto um he did live in newton alabama some people say he was raised or born in Spain. One likely account was that he was born in South Carolina and his father was from Spain. But according to the census, he married Sarah Clemens and he had seven or eight kids in Newton. So, so far, so good. We're pretty much on the same track. Um, he's not recognized as a minister in all the accounts of this story, but there it was it's possible there's just no primary sources that would necessarily attest to that. Right. Um, so here's where it gets sticky his service in the military. <clears throat> so this oral folk tradition that Catherine Tucker Wyndham based hers on is the only one that makes very much of his being an anti-Confederate pacifist or mm. who is conscripted into the military. Most of the tales just say that he's a soldier and they say that he served three years, specifically they say he served three years in the Confederate army before paying a substitute to go home to his wife. Um, but this whole substitute thing I had to look this up because I was like, what the, you could just, what, you could pay somebody to come and That's what I was wondering. I think that was a practice there. It was a practice. And so- Especially this, by the wealthy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This is where my, this is where my whole train of research went down today. So when the war started in 1861, um, men on both sides enlisted. They're like, oh, there's a fight. We're going to, we're going to volunteer. But the war was a total bitch and it kept on going on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And when those initial soldiers enlistment times- started to run out which i think was generally like you know 10 or 12 months at the beginning um a too large percentage of their fighters started deciding not to re-enlist so um because they just wanted to go home they wanted this yeah. to be over and right. because of this over the next two years both the union and the confederacy had to pass drafts or conscription acts to get enough soldiers to continue the fight but um in both cases union and confederate there were exceptions and workarounds for certain people so you may have heard the saying that the civil war was a rich man's war, but a poor man's fight. Mm -hmm. This, this is some of the examples yeah. of why that is. So, um, in 1862, the Confederacy adopted a law that extended the enlistment term to three years to stop these guys from being able to go home from the date of the original enlistment and all white males between the age of 18 and 35, who were citizens of a Confederate state were required to fight for at least one three year term. However, if you were subject to this draft, you were allowed to hire a substitute who would normally be exempt from service. So this is what's really weird. You could hire someone who was either too old or too young to be drafted, one whose trade or profession exempted them, or somebody who was a foreign national. You could hire somebody who was not able-bodied to take your place. <laughs> um, and it was completely legal. So you could pay these guys to enlist in your place if you were able to pay both a fee to the government at a pretty hefty fee and a large sum of money to the substitute. So prices for hiring substitutes in the South were like as high as $3,000. Wow. So this was 100% a loophole for the rich. 
the landed like (laughs) slave kidnappers who started this war were being allowed by the government that they created to support them in it to actually walk away from fighting for it (laughs) and sacrificing the people who had no money um, right. and also had no personal or economic stake in continuing the institution of slavery right so total fuck i mean right. it's which just... was most to me was most of the south mm-hmm. most of well, the yeah, south had, was. had yeah. no i mean no interest whatsoever mm-hmm. it was just but the rich the ones, few yeah, but they were the ones, the ones paying who the price. died for it yeah and so, even you know when i was talking about not to interrupt you but mm. you know the um mountain tom clark up in florence alabama yes. Like that whole story was uh, soldiers from the Confederacy running around trying to find able-bodied men who did not want to fight and forced them to fight, and they mm-hmm. treated them like prisoners. Mm-hmm. So, and anyway. there was there was a process. There were brokers who would go, like they would put ads in newspapers there to get people to sign up as substitutes. And there were brokers who got paid a fee to find substitutes for people. So like a lot of those guys were not good guys and right. like could have easily done some of that kind of stuff too. Oh yeah. But right. um, so anyway, this is all stuff that I'm just like, keep this in your brain for the next time somebody throws the proud heritage defense at oh, you. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? Like super proud, be proud. Mm-hmm. But um, so there is, and this is kind of as an aside to the substitution thing, the Confederate Congress adopted in 1862 what was called the 20 Negro Law also, which was another loophole for people who wanted to get out of fighting. Um, it granted an exemption to an owner of 20 or more able-bodied enslaved people or to one overseer on each plantation with 20 or more able-bodied enslaved people. So like substitution, this was really, really an unpopular um an unpopular law with the regular soldiers who were having to fight and having to do all of this. And there was a general D.H. Hill in the Confederate army who said some examples claim to own 20 Negroes and with justice might claim to be masters of an infinite amount of cowardice. So, um, so just because they had, just because they had 20 enslaved people, they could get an exemption. So, but would they being drafted? Would they send have to them into uh, to fight for them instead? Or was it just ownership of them was enough to get them out? They wouldn't have to. I don't think, I don't know if those people were even subject to substitution. They may not have even had to get substitutes. It was the ownership alone of 20 or more able-bodied So it's Negroes. basically if you've got a business if that you've has got a business that enslaved has slaves, people. You can, yeah, yeah, you're okay. out. So um, the number of substitutes in the Confederate Army could have been anywhere from 50,000 to 150,000 people. Whoa. Yeah. Um, Many of them became deserters really quickly because they weren't fit to serve. Mm -hmm. Um, And some, a lot of them were alcoholics. Um, A lot of them were ill. Uh, So it was like a widely abused practice. And the Confederate Congress tried to tighten the rules in 1863 and or before 1863 but then at the end of that year 1863 they just abolished the practice outright they said you can't do it and if you had a substitute come in for you it's time for you to come in in instead except they also kept those substitutes in play and made the people who should have originally been drafted come in so that they could kind of double their money um But so if you notice the dates here, substitution was abolished a year before Bill Skeeto was purported to have used it to leave the front to care for his wife. And notice he also had eight children, some of whom were grown. So his wife wasn't alone. Yeah, she was alone. I thought and probably could have been cared for by family members who were there. And probably was. was. Yeah, and probably was. So I was researching this. I also discovered that one of the professions that's listed as an exempted profession from drafting is the ministry. So um, there was a note that I found in an article in the Library of Congress that said that because the law didn't specify the need for certain qualifications or like papers for stuff like ministry service, then a lot of people suddenly, yeah, became ministers. (laughs) (laughs) That is why the South is flooded with (laughs) ministers and religions is because (laughs) we have a church on every block. Exactly. 
So, um, and on top of all this, as if this isn't enough, there is zero primary record of Bill or William Skeeto ever serving in the Confederate Army. So it's possible that he was a minister who was never drafted. It's mm -hmm. possible he was a pacifist who posed as a minister to avoid conscription. It's possible he was just a soldier who deserted to come home and take care of his wife. But it is absolutely impossible that he was a minister who used substitution to legally leave his post during the war. Right. So as far as the ambush comes, you know, we said that like that Captain Breer was a member of the Home Guard. Well, Home Guards were um, volunteer militias that acted as bounty hunters for the Confederacy, basically. Mm. Like they were out there getting or trying to collect fees from a broke Confederate government. And you know, um, they were the best people. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were the most, the most humane mm. of people. And they, um, so they would get fees for capturing deserters. Um, the House Guard was made up of men who were exempt or ineligible to fight. Um, and so that's that's one one version of the story. One, they called Breer's unit a part of the Buttermilk Rangers, which I had never heard of. <laughs> and the Buttermilk Rangers was a slang name for an undisciplined Confederate cavalry who would fall back behind the foot soldiers and raid the kitchens of local women for snacks rather than take up their place in the front lines and um both of these ideas of what breer was were incorrect so um joseph breer was a captain um he his company was a confederate unit not a home guard and he was assigned to enforce conscription in the region he was himself an attorney um, and he was a respected officer who actually was useful enough that when he tried to resign his post, they refused his resignation multiple times. Oh. So they wanted him. He was, you know, he was useful to them. Um, so his company was looking for deserters, but the reason he was there at the time was because there were more deserters there right now because there was an uptick in um, pro-union guerrilla forces attacking from the swamps on both sides of the Choctawhatchee River at the time. In the summer and fall of 1864, there were like guerrilla wars going on down there in the swamps. Oh, and wow. So they were like, That's deserters interesting. were going and joining this pro-union guerrilla fighting group out of Florida, I guess. Um, so there was a great article on Explore Southern History that gets into some of this. But um, so if Breer's company comes across deserters who just wanted to come home, the rule in general was to pack them up and send them back to the front because they don't have enough fighters and they can't afford to hang every able-bodied man they come across who deserted. Like they tie him up and they send him back to fight. But if the company comes across pro-union raiders or folks who have been aiding the pro-union forces in the swamps, those folks are immediately executed and left hanging as an example to others. And not long before the hanging of Bill Skeeto, a Confederate wagon that was either carrying salt or munitions had been attacked and a Confederate officer fatally wounded by guerrilla forces. And there are records of two other men being hanged for participating in that raid within days of Skeeto's death. So given all this, it is very likely that Bill Skeeto was hanged not as a deserter, but as a Union forces aider and abetter or fighter. Um, so the description of the hole being dug under his feet when he was hanged is true that there were multiple people who said that they had oh. um they had been there and multiple people who said they had heard firsthand accounts of it and the man with the crutch was george eccles he was not a cripple he was a soldier who had gotten shot in the leg and was recovering but he did do that he did go up there and have to dig a hole under bill skeeto's feet to get him to hang wow. um and after his death, they left his body displayed in Newton as a warning. And eventually oh. his family was able to bury him um, at Mount Carmel Cemetery in Echo, Alabama, which isn't very far away. Um, so the hole that won't stay filled, I have friends who saw this hole. I have friends who camped oh, near this really? hole. I have friends who say that this hole gets magically wiped clear. Oh, um, wow. The old story, um, some people had said that there was a man who was a friend of the family and his name was Wash Reynolds. And they said that he may have been the person who like snuck around and cleared it um, until he died, but they don't know what happened after he passed, whether somebody else picked that up and started doing it or not. But the original hole, unfortunately, no longer exists. Mm -hmm. um, 
it was under a bridge in Newton over the Choctawhatchee River. And um, after they built the bridge, you could still see the hole, but there was a really big flood in that area. And they had to take these massive piles of rocks and like cover the entire ground underneath that bridge with rocks to stop the floodwaters from like, to stop that from happening again. Right. So now his hole is covered with massive rocks. Oh man. Um, but they like, built- we need to go there. I, I know. know. <laughs> well, there is, there is a small sign. Like they built a reconstruction of the hole. I'm not really sure how that works um and an interpretive sign near the original site at there's a riverside park by the highway there and there's there's a sign there and a reconstruction of the hole and um so you can go see the sign and the pretend hole but <laughs> you know apparently the ghost isn't strong enough to kick like tons of Boulders, rocks out of the way right yeah so i guess the the whole thing the story itself is historical but not exact right. and the message has definitely been manufactured so bill skeeto may have been a pacifist he may have been a pro-unionist he may have been a minister who gave food to men in the swamps who were probably starving when they were fighting the confederacy there um he may have been fighting with them but um the the fact that the story was told so um consistently over the years says to me that bill skeeto was very likely a good man Um, right because it's a very positive story for his memory Mm -hmm. it's a very um it's all right they're like we don't want his name slandered exactly right exactly so um after the war they wouldn't have been able to tell a sympathetic story about a unionist so i think Mm -hmm. maybe this story might have been a way to keep his memory alive a little bit to tell it in a way that people could actually tell it you know but um so the message, the death of an innocent man being against nature and against God and should be remembered as a heresy. And um, if you take into account the true story and his likely union leanings, you'd have to add to that that a heresy applies to the generations of people who were enslaved and murdered by an institution that the Civil War was fought to maintain. So either way, a good sacri- a good man sacrificed his life according to his convictions and that is worth remembering so that Excellent. is Bill wow i nutshell. can't believe the hanging part was the true part i know that's what i thought too i was like of all the things you would have expected to be different you know right. that's not what you necessarily would have expected so right yeah. yeah i thought maybe the digging underneath you know that was yeah. kind of the fabricated part but nope wow that was that was a great story i like that one way to dig into that i didn't know how you were gonna do that i didn't either at first well at first when you're going and that's not true and that's not true i was like "Mm, Mm. i know you're not going take that catherine tucker window oh hell no (laughs) (laughs) the great thing about catherine tucker window is she could make any story good anyways i I mean that's the point was the storytelling the story is the point exactly that's why i will drop that youtube i'll embed it in the show page um because so you've got to i mean just listening to her tell to these, hear her voice <laughs> oh my god just listen to her tell it i mean it's spectacular excellent good job i love the history behind it that's Bill awesome Skeeto. yep all right let's take a break okay okay i have to refill <laughs> oh my god <laughs> do you want more strange south every week we can help you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and you can join our facebook fan group fans of the strange south podcast to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share email us at stories at the strange plus if you join our patreon you not only help support the podcast you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. All right. So. (laughs) Okay. My story. My my story. I don't really have a story. I have a series of events, and it's kind of fun. Ooh. And I, (laughs) um, anyway. (laughs) Let me just get started. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> what? Oh, How's that bourbon? How's that bourbon treating you? Bourbon. I plead the bourbon. Okay. 
So on episode 50, I have written here in my notes, stop <laughs> saying so. And I literally <laughs> have the words, no so's. And what, no is so. the first, what is the first thing I say? So. so. <laughs> <laughs> I realized I did it. I apologize. Episode 51, I talked about it's raining men. <laughs> men? Wait, where was that? Hallelujah. Raining men. Raining meat, you know, meat, <gasps> raining meat. meat. Golden meat yes. showers. Yes. Golden meat showers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was it. Wow. That's for the after talk. You two are lit. <laughs> and that was from the transylvania was it moosnick museum the kentucky meat shower they had like a little piece of meat and we talked about that right mm -hmm. kentucky meat showers yes <laughs> yes and so we, <laughs> we did damn it i said so again no so no so <laughs> uh, i heard that on uh, my favorite murder uh when uh, a, a person wrote in about the meat shower the meat told them about it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. We knew about it. First. I like to think they heard it from y'all. Yeah. That's what I like <laughs> to think also. So we heard about the meat shower. We know about the weather girls. It's raining men, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now I'm going to talk about it raining weird ass shit in Florida. <laughs> oh, yay! yay! Florida! Florida, Florida, does, Florida does not disappoint with Never. the weird things raining from the sky <laughs> on january 3rd 2018 temperatures oh. dropped below recently a couple of years ago mm -hmm. uh temperatures dropped 40 degrees and this was in tallahassee this was like all over florida right it got cold and it hardly ever gets cold in florida right and they had snow and it was like measurable snowfall for the first time in 28 years in the south you know like when it starts to like even think about snowing like school gets called off everybody oh, yeah. buys bread and milk and it becomes like this huge thing and i remember like my grad school in 2017 my uh thesis i was given my thesis show and it like fucking snowed eight inches which was unheard <laughs> of i had to cancel oh, my show yeah uh, because it was like you know seven to eight inches of snow mm -hmm. it was like nuts oh so it never snows y'all know this y'all southerners it never snows in the <laughs> south hardly unless you're up in the mountains and tallahassee which is just south of georgia and it's like it's in the panhandle is that what we call the panhandle I don't know my geography here. I think mm -hmm. it's a little off the handle, but yes. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. If it's a little off, it's, it's a little sideways off the handle. I don't know. Uh, off the it, handle. Off the handle. It received like the snowfall and the next day, and if that wasn't strange enough, the next day, Florida, Floridians reported mm -hmm. that there were iguanas falling <gasps> from the sky. <laughs> Oh my God, I remember this. So oh, I, just, that, I do too. It wasn't really iguanas falling from the sky. They were falling out of trees because mm -hmm. at a certain temperature, iguanas will literally, their bodies will <laughs> shut down and they will fall. Uh, they'll just like freeze and fall mm -hmm. over wherever they are. And But it seemed like they were falling from the sky. And this is not like, a, it's happened before in Florida, obviously, because mm -hmm. it's gotten cold in Florida before. But there's like all these pictures on social media <laughs> yes. of like these frozen lizards that are like playing possum almost, or they like went into instant hyper freeze or something. It's just really bizarre. And so that was like a huge thing that everybody talked about that if you, you know, watch the news, especially down in the South, you heard about. So that's our first thing falling from the sky i it, saw it, a video of like a of a a wildlife person like somebody who collects animals that you know i don't know animal control maybe mm -hmm. but who had like a wagon full of iguanas mm -hmm. that were like they were that truck like dead of, iguanas of and then they would just all of a sudden like start to move <laughs> yeah they didn't die right. they would come it's out of miracle. hibernation they'd be like oh my god oh i know it's just it's just the most bizarre thing it was really like head by an really bizarre thing 
in September of 1969, and this place called Punta Gorda, which is right between Sarasota and Fort Myers, which is like on the Gulf side of Florida. I looked all these places up because I fucking don't know Florida. All of a sudden, a rainstorm came up and dozens upon dozens of golf balls fell from the sky. <laughs> and there was like literally no, nobody had any idea of where like these golf balls were coming from. It was it's an unsolved mystery, but it was like, instead of hailing, it was like literally golf balls what falling the from the sky and they inquired about it and like nobody was missing like a large pile of golf balls uh, is anybody missing some golf balls that was raining from the sky <laughs> and i believe there's pictures on that oh i'll put all God. these pictures on our uh, mm-hmm. website the day before the fourth of july in 2019 so last year there was a report of something strange falling from the sky over lee county florida Lee County, Florida is around Fort Myers, uh, just south of Tampa there. And nobody, like we're talking like one or two in the morning, uh, right before the 4th of July. So I guess people may have been out partying or drinking or something that would see this at this time. But the American uh, Meteor Society says that this fireball-like thing that everybody was reporting in the sky was more than likely an old Chinese satellite. Oh. what but i'm like first of all how can you tell it was chinese how could you tell us a satellite i mean there's so many questions like why why chinese satellite hmm. anyway but there's obviously some other explanations for what was shooting through the sky at two o'clock in the morning on the fourth of july many say that it was aliens celebrating aliens. the fourth of july Independence Day. (laughs) There you go. And uh, others said it was just a meteor shower. Hmm. But it was a strange happening there that made the news. Then, July 2017. uh, Actually, sorry, I've got two different dates here. Mm. We're going to say July 2018. So two years ago, Mm. about four o'clock in the morning, when you're all asleep, uh, a 15 pound bag of frozen pork <laughs> landed on a Deerfield Beach home of Travis Adair and his family. So four o'clock in the morning, Adair was asleep and he heard something hit his roof with a big bang. Okay, this is so typical, all right? <laughs> he thought it was like, he didn't know what it was. He assumed it was thunder. However, his wife, being a little bit more curious as what Mm -hmm. the fucking loud bang on top of the roof was, went out and found two bundles of pork, frozen pork, (laughs) next to the house. His son went on the roof and found three more. So there was like all these packages of pork had fallen from the sky because he says they were too heavy to like for somebody to just casually toss up on the roof and they did live like, like you would normally do right you know you frozen pork on the roof you, you just know, toss them on just, your neighbor's roof uh but he did live like near three airports so they assumed it probably mm-hmm. fell from the plane but that's really not the weird part <laughs> The weird part is that the labeling on the packaging shows that it originally belonged to Jim Williams. Well, Jim Williams lived 170 miles to the east over in, was it Mayaka City, which is actually um, east of Sarasota, sorry. East of Sarasota? Okay, I don't know. This is all, (laughs) anyway, it was 170. Let's say where did Adair live? Adair lived actually Deerfield was near Boca Raton. Okay. So yeah, so it would be east. He lived like 170 miles east of him. So Jim Williams, who the packages belonged to, uh, was like lived in this rural community. He owned a company that prepared fields for planting. He had happened to bought, he did buy like 
a couple of pigs from some children at a county fair in January. And he oh, kept killed their pigs. He kept some of the meat, <laughs> but then he gave away the rest of the meat and he had no idea how it ended up on the roof 170 <laughs> miles, you know, east of, of where they were or west of where they were on the Adair's roof. Wilbur. He has no, he wasn't a pilot. He doesn't own a plane. He didn't ship them off. So <laughs> the, the family hell? decided the family decided to throw the meat away. And I have a oh, yeah. little a little footnote here saying clearly Yankees living in the South. Because <laughs> 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 obviously a true Southerner would have like been barbecuing that shit up. I would have thrown away my roof pork. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Jim Williams did offer to, are you laughing at my soul? Jim Williams offered tree pork. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. He did throw them, the family, he actually came over or invited them over and threw them a barbecue (laughs) since they did throw the pork out. So that was kind of a nice ending to a strange like situation. And then it ends with the barbecue. Things falling falling from the sky that we all are like, yeah, Florida. Gators. <laughs> so oh. it's a quiet evening in, on Wednesday, 1994 in December. There is a neighborhood crime watch group that's holding their first meeting. And addressing the meeting for the first time is Homestead. And Homestead, let's find out where Homestead is. Homestead's near Miami. Okay, Homestead is near Miami. Check you out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the chief of police was there. The police's department crime prevention officer was there making a little speech in this nice little patio area by this nice little pool in this nice little community that's starting an uh, crime watch. And they're talking mm-hmm. about the kinds of things citizens should be looking out for, including them and on like, you know, possible cr- meat criminal activities <laughs> happening in the area and as the chief is talking he notices that he's having to like speak louder and he's he's having trouble like talking over something because he looks up and there's this plane that's flying very very low and they all kind of stop and turn around and look at this plane. Like it is like maybe 30 feet from the ground. It's like so low over the ground. And out comes this package. And of course, the package is 75 pounds of cocaine. I know it. <laughs> cocaine in Miami. Yeah. Dumped from the plane. <laughs> Into their Not neighborhood watch during a neighborhood it. watch so he literally could have said there is drugs falling from the sky in our community that we need to watch out for q plane oh q cocaine god. oh my made god his point only in florida right <laughs> he paid and for that plane he, he did making a point he, he was waiting for he need he needed a drop off little later on same plane was flying over the south dade baptist church when the church's (laughs) maintenance man happened to look up because he heard a noise and he said i saw this plane being followed by a u.s customs jet and this is what he said which i am calling bullshit he did not say this he said good night they're too low (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good but, night good night he did not say that he was like holy <laughs> shit what the fuck <laughs> uh but they like barely went over the steeple and he saw somebody kick something out of the side of the plane well this bell was moving so fast that it smashed into the ground a few feet from the church school building it bounced sideways into the building's column knocked off a chunk of masonry then spun out into the parking lot narrowly missing a group of people and slamming into a cadillac about 100 feet from Uh. the original point that it was dropped off oh wow so it like had a very active descent and (laughs) didn't take anybody out so that is the what you would think and would happen would fall from the sky there <laughs> in California, or California, in Florida. There, 
Oh my god. I'm like explain that to your one. insurance agent, right? You're the gators, though. <laughs> How'd you get that dent? Let's <laughs> see. Uh, don't have gators yet. <laughs> so in South yes. uh, Broward County and Broward. Broward County, thank you. Blunt. <laughs> Blunt. 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 Broward. <laughs> Uh, in 1981, a man was sleeping on his sofa in his trailer and he got up to go to the bathroom like you do. And all of a sudden there was a hundred pound bell of marijuana that came crashing through his roof and <laughs> yeah, landed in the place that Liam, he had just left. Should this not happen to us? What? I know that's like a <laughs> gift from heaven. I know. <laughs> so those are like the main ones that, uh, that we found. <laughs> of, of things of shit falling from the sky in florida some honorable mentions here uh loose ramule 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 okay so loose was in her bed chatting with a friend <laughs> on her phone and she suddenly was covered in wood and dust from her roof it happens like really fast so there's no warning there had been like an 80 pound inflatable life raft crashed through her roof and landed like in her house oh luckily she wasn't what injured or anything but there was like this huge hole in her roof and what had happened the raft fell from a royal canadian air force search and rescue helicopter that was doing offshore training exercises oh. So first of all, Canada, Royal Canadian in Florida, Canada, there was Canadians in Florida. And so if you think this through, <laughs> why were Canadians in Florida doing training other than maybe they were just wanting to like get a government paid vacation? I don't know. Maybe oh, it's just practicing for some tropical rescue recoveries i'm not sure yeah yeah ocean based ocean recovery rescue, maybe, maybe one of the lakes well, i mean they sunny. have an ocean on each side that's true <laughs> but yeah. i mean true. it's colder it so. is colder we yeah. didn't say i thought alaska was an island for a really long time so i can't really right and the last thing what happened in april of 1997 a U.S. Navy SEAL parachutist dressed as the Marlins' popular mascot, Bill the Marlin, was parachuting into a stadium to open the baseball season and wow the fans. <laughs> Except on the way down, the wind caught a hold of his pointy-billed head. Oh, no. <laughs> it flew off. No. And landed somewhere northwest of Miami-Dade and wasn't found for weeks like it was gone however once this <laughs> happened he 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 was like it, it shocked him he, he like what the fuck do i do now right because he figured that if he landed in the baseball field he would terrify the young marlin fans because he would land in the stadium as a beheaded billy <laughs> <laughs> oh no and he didn't want to land as a beheaded <laughs> billy the marlin so he thought fast and ended up landing in a park nearby oh that was not meanwhile there's meanwhile, a gator somewhere in miami dade <laughs> county wearing a marlin said exactly. <laughs> and that concludes weird shit falling out of the sky <laughs> In Florida. In Florida. Florida. Apparently, uh, uh, Canada has a problem with poop flying, falling out of the sky. Like, it's a Ew. thing. From airplanes? <laughs> I guess thing. so. There's, like, a lot of people complaining about poop falling out of the sky in Canada. I don't... Uh, mm, 
Oh, I don't like that. Did you ever see, did you ever watch Six Feet Under? Did you ever watch that show? Mm -hmm. The beginning of Six Feet Under, every episode was like a death because it was about a family of undertakers. Right. And one, one episode was somebody standing in their back and it may have even been in Florida. Some, somebody standing in their backyard and they were in the flight path of a, of an airline and the plane had dropped, like had, had emptied its like toilet. Toilet. And right. the blue water from the toilet had frozen in the atmosphere and yes. smashed into the person's head in their backyard and killed them yes and i, I think most that. of those deaths were actually based on actual deaths so uh, that may i'm gonna have, have really to look happened. that up now that's yeah. crazy that's crazy well the um opening or the whole premise of what is it uh dead to me or death in me or the one where the girl becomes the um becomes one of the grim reapers and it's got oh god what is um, that called mandy it's, um, not it's, dead to me that's the christina it's not dead to me. Show it. no but i i know which one you're talking about because the 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 cover had like grim reaper with like a bubble gum right like, yes yeah, the bubble yeah. gum yeah well she dies yeah. from uh a plane dropping a tour a toilet seat falling or a toilet falling <laughs> from the sky that was like her death at like season one episode one so oh those are god. fun and things falling <laughs> from the sky. Oh, iguanas. Iguanas. Yes. Yes. Well, that thanks, everybody, for listening. And yes. thank you. If you would like to join Patreon, now would be a good time. $3 a month, simply because I'm going to share with everybody what was shared with me today from my Kentucky so-called I could say so-called he's totally a cousin we just haven't figured out the relations part yet <laughs> um but we know we're cousins somewhere uh because he lives up where my folks and Kentucky's there's some fucked up shit happening as <laughs> what i'm fisting to talk about during the after talk so Whoa. join us there and um have a good Billy elegy stuff no what <laughs> no did you no. say hillbilly elegy stuff yeah that's like that's what i was gonna talk about, about that's what i was gonna talk about actually during the after show so well it's kentucky themed then oh there yeah. you go kentucky so, themed after show we'll talk to y'all later bye y'all You just kind of blow <laughs> on the cranberry <laughs> over the bourbon. <laughs> just squeeze a single cranberry into Teardrop. your mason jar. <laughs> single cranberry teardrop. <laughs>